Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Amen. So, so much has already uh, been said about the pastorate, and some of the scripture uh, that I plan to preach from has already been read. So I won't be before you long, but I do want to encourage us this morning from the word of the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, if you could open them to the book of 1 Peter, the scripture has already been read in your hearing, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 1 through 5. And if you would stand with me in reverence to the word of of God. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. When you have it, give me an amen. 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 So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you still oppose the proud and that you give grace to the humble. Father, I pray now that as we go before you as pastors and people, that you would help us to walk before you with humility and walk with one another in humility and grace. God, help us see through the text today the weight and the glory of this office and this call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. Again, so much of what I have to say, these brothers got up here to preach my whole sermon. So I... Uh, I ain't got to work too hard. They didn't tee me up, so I'm going to just come on in, say what Jesus told us to say from the text, um, and then let y'all go so y'all can go home, make y'all wings and rotels so we can get ready for the game. And so it, it won't be long, but I just want to talk to you for a few minutes from the thought, the weight and glory of the pastorate. The weight and the glory of the pastorate. Those of us who are history buffs are familiar with the name Winston Churchill. Churchill was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom during World War II, and his leadership skill, oratory, and wisdom helped him to galvanize the Allied forces in Great Britain to victory over Nazi Germany. It said that Britain had a heart of a lion, and Churchill gave it its roar. We know that he was a complex man, imperfect as all men and all people are, um, but something to be gleaned from the leadership and shepherding and direction of Winston Churchill uh, was this idea of conviction and boldness in leadership. 
Churchill realized and he recognized the weight of the responsibility that lay on his shoulders. And because of that, while outwardly he was a bold leader, an outspoken leader, again, a great orator, and uh, he, he was very uh, defiant in the face of what seemed unseeming and impossible odds, what many do not know is that Churchill wrestled with crippling self-doubt. He often wrestled back and forth, questioning his decisions, questioning his decision-making. And while outwardly he seemed self-assured, those who were behind the scenes knew that he agonized over every decision. This is because Churchill realized that every decision that he made, that millions of lives and the fate of an entire nation rested on his shoulders. And this reality is captured in the movie, The Darkest Hour, where outwardly Churchill is leading with strength, but he is at this time talking to his wife Clementine, who has seen his wrestles and the ways in which he has sought to uh, uh, question and refine his decision-making and questioning and having doubts about the direction. And his wife said these words to Winston Churchill, you are strong because you are imperfect. You are wise because you have doubts. And in a world in which we are told that we have to be self-assured and know all the outcomes, Churchill realized that he had to wrestle down every decision because too much depends on it. And this morning, I hope it has been communicated to both Bryce and Tony and to our entire congregation, the weightiness of this office that we call eldership or pastorate or bishop or whatever you want to call it, because the reality is, too many today do not understand the weightiness of it. The reality is, is that too many today don't agonize, don't wrestle, and they view it as flippant, they view it as a position, they view it as a career. But let me tell you what this text has to say and what Brother Churchill demonstrates to us, that this call for us is not just a question about millions of lives, though as concrete and real as that is, what we are talking about in this calling as a pastor is the eternal weight of image-bearing souls of God. And if there's a call to ever take seriously, if there's ever a call to take and to wrestle back and forth about, this is the call to take with utter seriousness. If you are in a space as you wrestle and think through this, Tony and Bryce and all of our other pastors, or if you are here and you're thinking about this weight and you feel like this weight is too heavy, that this calling is impossible, and that if you are questioning and doubting whether or not you can do it, whether you're smart enough or wise enough or insightful enough or good enough, I'm here to tell you that is a great sign because you are not enough to do it. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You're not witty enough. Your expertise won't get it done. Your degrees won't get it done. Your money won't get it done. It takes the anointing and the power of Jesus Christ to bear up under the weight that is called the pastor. You see, this right, this Wait, Brother Tony, is something that we have to do in the strength of Jesus Christ. Our, our fleshly strength, our own being is not enough to bear up under this weight. And what we are reading here is an exhortation from a brother by the name of Peter. Peter was the, the, the chief apostle. He is the one who is called uh, uh, the rock upon which Jesus built his church. But in this text, Peter just introduced himself as a fellow 
elder and a partaker in the glory that is to come. Peter in the book of 1 Peter juxtaposes for an entire five chapters the suffering and the glory of the Christian life. In chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, he talks over and over again about the suffering and the glory of the Christian life. He's encouraging Christians throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that they need to stand up under the fires of persecution because of the fire that's coming at them from Emperor Nero. And he says for four chapters to Christians in general, you need to stand up and you need to suffer for the glory of Christ because there's glorious that is coming. And then in chapter 5, he turns to the elders, the pastors, those who exemplify Christian leadership. In that same suffering and glory theme, he then uh, 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 applies to the office of the elder. And so he says in verse 1, he says, I exhort you elders as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker that is going to be revealed, that you need to shepherd the flock of God. I'm excited to get this from Peter because as I was looking at this, I said, you know, you start thinking about pastoring and you think about the weight of it and the eternal significance of it. I began to think like, God, this is just impossible. And I feel bad to even bring this up and, and to lay this weight on these guys. I felt guilty right in the vows because I said, these brothers are going to clock out and say, you know what? Los, we good. We, we straight. Um, we just going to go and do something else because this is too much. This is ridiculous. Who can bear up under this. But the Lord pushed me back to this text and said, Carlos, it's going to be all right because look who wrote it. I said, who wrote it? He said it was Peter. And, and I took comfort in that because if you know the Bible, you know that Peter, that few people had more public and more spectacular failures than Peter. His entire call was bathed in failure. You see, this is Peter. Now, Peter, he gets out the blocks pretty good. You get in Matthew 16, where everybody, Jesus is saying, who do men say that I am? And they're saying, they think you're Jeremiah. They think you're Job. They think you're Nehemiah. Shoot, they think you might be Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. They don't know who you are. Jesus says, who, but who do you say I am? And old Peter, big mouth, hard-headed, stubborn Peter said, thou art the Christ. And he said it in King James English, just like, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. This is what Big Mouth Peter says. And, and Jesus says, good job, Peter. He says, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. But Peter being Peter, his Peter and start to Peter and he gets all hype. He gets front. And so Jesus then tells him that I'm going to go to the cross and I'm the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And Peter say, hold on, Jesus, now you can't be dying on no cross. Do you, you know who you be? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And as quickly as he was affirmed as the rock of the church, four verses later, he's called Satan. I love Peter. His whole call is just, his whole, the whole Bible is just a bunch of, about all the ways he failed. He, we see this again, that in John 21, when he receives this precious commission from Jesus to feed my sheep, to feed my lambs, to be the chief leader of the church, it comes on the heels of him denying Jesus publicly, not in the face of a Roman legion, not in the face of an army battalion, but in the face of a little girl around a bonfire. You see, Peter, 
fails publicly. He knows what it's like to try and try again. But this is the same Peter who on the first Christian sermon, on the first day of Pentecost, preaches and 3,000 people get saved. This same Peter. And so the question that we have to ask is what's the difference between a Peter of Matthew 16 and John 21 and the Peter Acts 2? There's one word, Pentecost. The difference between Peter and Matthew and John and Acts is the Holy Ghost filling Peter for the work. The difference between Peter failing and falling on his face is the indwelling of a power that is outside of him. Brother Bryce and Brother Tony, I came to tell you this morning that in your flesh you're going to fail over and over and over again. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, to strengthen you, to pour into you, then you will be able to do things that you never imagined. Yeah, I'm... I'm here to tell you, I'm, and, and I'm sorry to tell y'all refresh, you know, I be trying, me and the pastor be trying, you know, we fail sometimes. We're, we're imperfect, but Peter was imperfect, but God says, I don't need your perfection because I'm perfect. I, I got it all together, and I'm going to put something inside of you that is going to empower you to bear up under the weight of your calling. And so I'm so glad this came from Peter and not somebody else because I know Peter can relate to me. I know that Peter is relatable and that when I fall, he didn't probably fail worse than I have, so he can't really look down on me. I'm grateful. I mean, I ain't denied Jesus and then he got put in the Bible. Lord have mercy. You know, I just denied Jesus. I don't even put it on Facebook. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I'm glad it comes from Peter, but I just want to present before you a couple things today. And again, I'm not going to be long and I'll be out your way. The first thing we see in Peter's text here is the weight of the pastorate. And it starts in verse 2. Look at it. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The overarching responsibility of the pastor is to shepherd. This is a picture. This pastoral picture starts all the way in the book of Genesis. We see a guy by the name of Abel who's a shepherd. We also see a guy by the name of Moses who's a shepherd. We see a guy by the name of Abraham who's a shepherd. We see a king by the name of David who's a shepherd. And today when uh, we see that we worship Jesus who this text calls the great over-shepherd, the great shepherd of all the sheep. And so this pastoral imagery permeates all of Scripture because sheep are a vulnerable animal. They're an animal that needs care. They're an animal who needs protection. And like us as human beings, I'm not saying you're, you know, a sheep. You're made in the image of God, but we be doing sheep-like stuff sometimes. That's all I'm saying. That, that whether, even though we're strong, we're capable, we're smart to a degree, all of us have looked at ourselves and seen a little sheep coming out from time to time. Pastor, parishioner, all of us. We all do sheep-like things. And because of that, we need elders and pastors who serve as under-shepherds over the great shepherd to help guide us in how we live. And so, in his book, Biblical Eldership, this classic book, Alexander Straw boils down shepherding to four things, feeding, leading, protection, and care. And so elders are called to feed God's flock by treasuring God's word and teaching it to others. Jeremiah 3.15 says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Elders lead God's flock by being examples in both character and skill. Psalm 78.72 says with regard to the shepherd King David, with upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hands. Elders and pastors are to protect God's flock from false teachers, spiritual 
apathy, sin, and division. As a shepherd, you got to be caring, but you can't be soft. You hear the distinction? You got to be caring, but you can't be soft. King David had to wrestle down a lion, a bear, and some other things out in the wilderness to be caring. And so shepherds, we got to be caring. We got to be sensitive, but we can't be soft. This is why you need a, sw- uh, need a, a, a staff and a rod. The staff is to correct and to pull the sheep back from danger. But the rod is to break off a bear if necessary and to put him in his place. Whatever needs to be done, shepherds are to protect. Titus 1 and 9 says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Pastors are not supposed to be agreeable to everything. People tell you to be open-minded. I am open-minded. I'm a, I like to read a lot of things. I think critically, but I'm only going as far as the Bible goes. The end, end of discussion. I'll read all kinds of stuff, but the word of God is the word of God and it's my job to protect the flock from the error and heresy that in this world. Not only that, shepherds are to care. I told you, you ain't got to be soft, but you do got to be caring. Elders are to care for God's flock by encouraging them in the gospel through all of life's difficult circumstances. Acts 20, 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. Notice that text there, that this ravaging of the flock that's going to come in, it didn't say a bunch of outsiders going to get in and tear up the church. It's not what it says. It says that among you, you pastors, you leaders, you shepherds, among you is where the wolves are going to crop up and try to eat the flock. And so we have to care and we have to encourage them and we have to protect them. And so I want you to notice something also very subtle in this text is in verse 2, this small preposition, shepherd the flock of God, look at this preposition that is among you, that is around you. Notice the sheep are not under you, the sheep are not being dominated by you, but they are among you. That means that you need to be close to them. That means that you need to be in the midst to them. Pastors Tony and Bryce, God has not called us to sit in ivory towers and sit outside of, uh, outside of the church, but to be with the people. That means we should be accessible. We should be what Pope Francis said, shepherds that smell like sheep. We're not supposed to be removed. We're not supposed to be celebrities. We are not CEOs. John Piper said we are not professionals. We are shepherds who smell like the sheep. We are among the people of God. And Peter gives even more specificity. He says that we are those who exercise oversight. This is the care and the protection that we are to exercise. We are supposed to care for the people of God. We are supposed to feed the flock of God. And then he gives three negations and three positive statements about what this oversight looks like. He says that we don't do it under compulsion, but willingly. This means that we start with yes. We begin with yes. You ever, in your life, ask somebody to do something for you, and they jump up and down and make so many sounds and make it seem like it's the most difficult thing in the world, and you're just like, you know what? Never mind. I will do it myself. You'd be like, hey, bro, can you do that for me? Oh, God. It's like, you know what? I'll get it. Don't, don't even worry about it. Don't do it. He, he's like, like, don't act like you got to do it. You ain't got to do this. You're like, you, you don't do this under compulsion. We start with yes. The text says that we don't do this for shameful gain. In other words, we're not to serve for money and what we can get out of it. I think the weirdest thing in the world is people who go into pastoring for money. It's like start a business, be a doctor, be a dentist, be a lawyer. You can make a lot more money and not send yourself and others to hell doing it. No, we, we, it's insane to me. I, I get upset about dudes who pastor because they couldn't cut it somewhere else in the world. Like, man, 
just no, just don't do it. You got daddy wounds and issues, go to counseling and leave God's people alone. We do not come here to shepherd because we want money or notoriety or to puff ourselves up, but it's to shepherd and love the people of God. You know, when I read the early church and I read the persecutions that broke out throughout the centuries, the people who stayed and went down with this ship were the pastors. And sometimes when I look at some of these people on TV, they're so worried about the the inches on their wheelbase or their Fendi or their Prada shoes that I really question whether or not they would stay and give their life for the people of God. Not under compulsion, not for shameful gain, and not domineering, but being examples to the flock. You know, nobody as a pastor, nobody has to follow you. That's just, especially nowadays, 21st century, is a church on every corner next to the liquor store. You can go to the church, you can go and get a bottle, go to church and get delivered right after it. There's churches everywhere. So this domineering thing, no one has to, to, to follow you. We don't lead by bullying and domineering and authoritarianism, but we lead through influence by being such compelling examples that people want to follow our example. You know, there's an old saying, it's true, I can't remember who said it or what book came out of it, but it says that a person who thinks they're leading and looks behind them and nobody is following them is just taking a walk. And God, <laughs> and, and God says to us, as pastors, lead in such a way that you're not just taking a walk, okay? Lead, lead in such a manner that your way of living, the way you live your life, is compelling that people want to follow in the Word Christian pastors are called to a simple, uh, simple phrase called servant leadership. We emulate the example of Christ who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We follow Christ in taking up his cross and bearing it for the sacrifice of his people. We do what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, which we fill up the sufferings of Christ. That means that as the body of Christ, he left some suffering for us to do because it is his body that is broken on the cross. And as his body, we participate in his suffering in an incarnational way amongst his people. And so we take on that full weight as as not uh, super Christians, but as exemplars of the role and the suffering that all saints ex- ex- experience in this world. So we see the weight of the pastor, but I know y'all done got real comfortable in those soft padded pews. Y'all chilling, y'all like, woo, glad I'm not a pastor. Woo, Bryce and Tony, you got it. Pastor Lowe's, you got it. I'm just going to sit up here, kick it. Nah, Peter didn't let, us, uh, let the flock off the hook either. So we see the weight of the pastorate, but we see the weight of the flock. And Pastor Jonathan already said it. I ain't got to say a whole lot. But it says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Lest we think this is a one-way street, Peter calls parishioners to be submissive and submit to spiritual leadership of the pastors. Now, for some of y'all, I might as well, well have just cussed in the middle of church because I said the word submission. We don't like when we say it regarding spiritual leadership. Show don't like it when you preach on Ephesians, talk about why I submit to husband. Just folks don't like that word submission. Just, just don't say, just say something else. Don't, don't say this because we don't like this. This is countercultural to our generation because our generation is authority averse, which I get actually. Um, Because let's talk honestly about it. The reason why so many of us are almost allergic to the idea of submitting to spiritual leadership is because we have seen so many abuses and manipulations and moral failures from alleged men who were supposed to speak for God. 
Some of us, unfortunately, have been on the receiving end of such abuse, such manipulation, such hurt and such pain. And so I don't want to pretend like our lack of trust for pastors and preaching just popped out of a vacuum because we all know it's not true. I'm sure in a paper in a few weeks, there'll be another one, right, who then did a thing and we'll just go on about our life. And I know you're asking me, and rightfully so, Carlos, why should we trust you and these guys here? And here's what I would say. I would say on one hand, I understand. And on the other hand, if we call ourselves the people of God, we should seek and endeavor, despite the actions of a sinful few, to not nullify the word of God. I will say this, we at Refresh have sought and worked hard to earn your trust. It's the reason why, because of what we know to be the reality of spiritual abuse, it's the reason why we have a plurality of elders and not just one. There's a reason why we have multiple pastors instead of just one. Because I already told you, Acts 20, Acts 20 says, keep an eye on one another because y'all can become the wolves. And so... We practice accountability and transparency with one, one another. And so I got a lot of eyes on me. In fact, I know that I can get crazy. I, I know that I can get wild and out of control. So when we were working through the structure of our church, we were like, hey, what if I had, and it was actually my idea, what if I had a pastoral council who were not just the elders of this church, but were mentors outside of our church, who just in case I go off the rails, and you know, none of us plan to go off the rails, but you got you to gotta prepare for your worst self as your be, best self, you know? Like, uh, so I was like, hey, I'm in my best self right now. How about just in case I go insane, we have some people outside the church who can care for the church and care for me should something happen. Here's my point. We have sought to embed in our church much accountability, many eyes so that we can protect the sheep of a fresh community church from abuse and exploitation from spiritual leaders. And so Tony and Bryce have been examined. They've been questioned. They've been evaluated. It's been a multi-year process. They started a while ago, and we believe these men are worthy of your submission and your trust. And so I don't have any hesitation saying what I believe the Bible calls us, how the Bible calls us to treat our pastors. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we should love our pastors. The Bible says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly. Listen, in love. Y'all know pastors need love, too. Pa Tony and Bryce needs you to check in on them, too. They, they need a hug sometimes. Sometimes the enemy busy love your pastors. But the Bible also says to honor and support your pastors. 1 Timothy 5 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The Bible says, yes, that word, that dreaded S word, to submit to your pastors. The Bible says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. The Bible calls us to support, to love, and to hold up the arms of those who are called to spiritual leadership because it is a heavy weight. At the end of the day, we both got a weight, the pastors and the people. There's a weight shared by both. Look at verse 5. It says, clothe yourself, all of you, pastors, people, elders, everybody. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
The entire Christian faith turns on this idea that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ and that he gave up the worship of angels across the balconies of heaven to come down and to be incarnate as a human being and walk the dusty shores of Galilee not to be served. And there has never been a human being worthy of more service and worship than Jesus Christ to walk this earth. And yet he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he being in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took the form of a servant. And so Tony Bryce says, you are serving. And as we are serving one another, if you for a moment feel that you are being treated like a servant, like a doulos, like a slave, you have not humbled yourself to the extent that Jesus Christ has to the point of death on the cross. And so all of us stand in the shadow of the cross that causes to humanity and death to self. And so in a world that values pride, self-promotion, and assertiveness, this call to humility is radically countercultural. And so not only do we see the weight of the pastorate, we see the weight of the flock, but lastly, it's not just about weight, it's also about glory. And the glory is to come. Look at verse 1. He opens with this. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And then we see it again in verse 4, that when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's, it's already been said that, Pastor, it didn't look glorious because people show up and listen to you, but it's not as glory as it looks. There will be hard work and sacrifice, but brothers, the glory is coming. There will be late nights and early mornings, but glory is coming. There will be times that you want to give up and quit, but glory is coming. There will be times when you want to throw in the towel, but don't throw in the towel because the glory is coming. There will be seasons when it feels like it is too much on your family and you need to give it up, but don't give it up because the glory is coming. There will be times when it seems that your mental health is hanging on by a thread, but don't give up because the glory is coming and the glory will appear when Jesus cracks the sky and we see his face and we are able to present the saints of refreshed community church to him as a glorious bride awaiting our husband and be transformed and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye when the glory comes and the trumpet sounds and Jesus cracks the sky and the dead in Christ rises first then we will see him face to face and children of God let y'all think I'm just talking to pastors I want to encourage the entire congregation that the weight that you feel is only temporary that that weight of the failure in your life that weight of your mental health crumbling that weight of not being able to put food on your table don't throw in the towel because child of God, glory is covering. I want to encourage you that even though you are suffering now, even though there's a weight and you feel like you can't make it, you feel like you can't bear up under it, stay strong because glory is coming. The word says if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. If we die with him, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, we will rule with him. If we stay faithful, we're going to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Move on up a little higher. Well done. You have stayed focused on Jesus. The glory is coming. We have to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. He despised the pain. He despised the heartache. He despised the heartbreak. He despised the crown of thorns. He despised the nails in his hands. He despised the nails in his feet. He despised the piercing of his side. And he was able to hold on because on Sunday morning, the glory finally came when he stood on resurrection ground. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth worthy to be considered with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Child of God, the sufferings of this life won't even come up when you stand in the glory of Christ. That heartbreak will not even stand in the glory of Christ. That pain in your soul is not worth being compared to the glory that is to come. That sickness in your body is not worthy to be compared with the glory of Christ that is to be revealed. People of God, hang in there because glory is coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The glory is coming. God is going to be victorious. God is going to bring restoration. God is going to bring your healing. The glory is going to come. The suffering won't win. Satan won't have the last laugh. Sickness won't have the last laugh because God's glory is coming. Glory be to God for his goodness and his grace. People of God, people of God, we have to know that while we bear this weight of suffering in this life, while we bear life in a broken, fallen world, the hope of the Christian life is that God's glory is coming. And he's going to bring restoration in ways we can't even imagine. The Bible says that this stuff, this little, little petty problems and sickness and headaches and frustration, he says it's not even worth, you ain't even going to talk about it. He said it's not even going to come to mind because the beauty and power of Jesus Christ is that incredible. And so listen, I know we installed pastors, and I've been preaching to pastors, but I'm preaching to all of us. Peter wrote this whole book to let us know, yes, we suffer, yes, we feel weight, but it's not to be compared to the hope of Jesus. Listen, we need some hope in this world. We need some hope today. You turn on the news, it's hopeless. You go out into the neighborhood, it's hopeless. You go shopping, it's just hopeless. And God is saying that I'm going to make it all new. I'm going to restore, I'm going to rebuild, I'm going to bring resurrection power, and all you got to do is trust in me. And so listen, we're going to sing one more song. We're going to worship, we're going to praise God a little bit. We'll have brothers and sisters here at the altar. If you've got a burden that you need to lay down, now, now is your time. Come and cry out to the Lord. But we thank God that our failures ain't final and the weight we bear doesn't define us because we look forward to the revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you. God, we thank you that glory is coming. God, we thank you that even while we struggle, wrestle, we experience our feelings of failure and fallenness, God, we thank you that we can look forward to the revelation of the glory that is to come. Thank you for Pastors Tony and Bryce. But God, most of all, thank you for Jesus. God, the great shepherd, 
God, the shepherd of our souls who comes to bring restoration to our broken lives, our broken minds, our broken bodies, our broken world. Father, we commend ourselves to you and to your care and to your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let us stand together and worship. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.